Hello, my name is Mark Hill, and today I'll be interviewing professional gymnast and acrobat Carl Ganley. Carl has represented England internationally in competitive gymnastics and has also worked professionally on many large stage productions. He has led an interesting life, having trained and competed in Eastern Europe, and today offers us some insight into the more unknown aspects of the art form. So I welcome you all to episode one of my podcast, Interesting People Everywhere. Good sounds of the amber nectar. So you're a, a gymnast, Carl. Was. Retired. Retired, but now you're a gym Culture. teacher. Yeah, Coach. that's all I do, teach. Teach kids gymnastics. Yeah, and adults. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, involved in a few different programs within a club where it's, yeah, teach recreational gymnastics, like after school and stuff like that and then um help teach a lot of the state team boys and some of the boys that compete nationally and then kind of front the free g freestyle gymnastics program which is like parkour free running tricking break dancing and then i run adult classes as well Okay. Yeah. And that's how you got your sponsorship for Australia too, yeah? Yeah. But I'm involved now in a different kind of gymnastics, so my background sports acrobatics. What I'm teaching is artistic gymnastics. So most people know it as the apparatus. Hmm. Pommel floor rings, all of that kind of thing. Oh, but you used to do like the stuff you would see in the Olympics, yeah? Yeah. What I do more instead of Using an apparatus, we use each other. So within acrobatics, you've got different disciplines, which is men's pairs, men's fours, women's trios, mixed pairs, and women's pairs. And yeah, so you do a balance element and a somersault kind of flipping element to it. Yeah, so that's what I did. That's so what it's I did. When team I gymnastics. Yeah, in a way. So it's it's like a. I like to call it cheerleading on ecstasy. Yeah, okay. Because it's just, you know, the international scene of acrobatics is insane. Like some of the stuff you see in things like Cirque du Soleil, that's the kind of acrobatics what we competed. Oh, okay. Yeah. And what's the official name of that again? Sports acrobatics. Okay. And what's the other style everyone's? Artistic gymnastics. No, no. What you would see at the Olympics. The Olympics is artistic. So artistic is using apparatus. Okay. Sports acros using people. But then you've got rhythmic gymnastics, like the girls with the ribbons and the ball and the hoop and the thing. Okay. It's more like a ballet gymnastics. Mm. And then you've got, oh, what else is Trapeze? There? Well, that's, no, that's circus arts. Is Trapeze it? is circus Yeah, what arts. about the rings? The rings is a discipline, yeah. In artistic gymnastics. Okay, so so artistic gymnastics for men. Let's let's just go into men. Men are um, mainly performing on five or six pieces of apparatus. So you've got the floor, the rings, the vault, the pommel horse, the high bar, and the parallel bars. Okay, for females as well. 
No. So females, they do beam, uneven bars, floor, and vault. Yeah. Okay, so this is probably because guys are more uh, top-heavy, yeah? Or stronger in the upper body? Yeah, I mean, if you look into the history of everything, only men would be doing the kind of aerial work. So women, back in the day, and it wasn't, you know, uh, discrimination, but it was just that that's how it was. You know, the old Soviet states, you know, the rings, what we see now on rings wasn't, isn't how it used to be. The rings used to be where they used to swing on them. Mm. like real far and it was kind of crazy and they stopped it because of the danger factor yeah okay. now that's why rings are static and oh. it's more strength in uh instead of like a swinging aerial kind of thing we'll have videos of this maybe we should include some videos yeah okay. some of the old moves i mean a lot of the big eye-catching stuff and the wow factor stuff isn't allowed in competition anymore yeah, okay. Half it got banned because it was that dangerous and that crazy. People were actually trying it too much. And yeah, I mean, we're talking fatalities. So. Yeah, so I'd imagine you have seen a few injuries. Seen a few, had a few. Yeah, I've seen some bad ones. Yeah. You know, from real big wipeouts to, you know, small, what we consider a small wipeout that can, yeah, be be fatal at times. Yeah, having friends pass away and you know having people's careers ended when they've finished competing going into performing you know obliterating their kneecaps or their hips ankles everything just you know being turned inside out yeah it's, oh, wow. yeah it's it's pretty tough it's a dangerous sport i mean people you know i think the conception of gymnastics is there's men wearing lycra and it's not be, especially going <laughs> to the performance side of things it's pretty full-on i mean you're doing things that you know, performing in shows that people don't normally see. They don't see this on TV like they do gymnastics. So, yeah, it's kind of a, a danger level to everything. So what's the history behind gymnastics? Do you know how far it goes back? I don't know exactly how far it goes back, but I know, especially within sports acro, sports acrobatics, um, what I compete in, the old Soviet state, so the USSR, um, they were 50, 60 years ahead of everyone else in the game. Yeah, okay. And that's mm. why they've always been at the forefront of gymnastics and sports acro. Um, and then you've got the neighboring countries, China, which have always been at the forefront as well. Um, but now you've got countries like Japan, the UK as well, you know, coming through now with a lot of medals to their names. But it's only been well the UK British gymnastics only within the past ten years, and more recently two or three years Japan are just killing it, absolutely annihilating the world. So, but I mean, I don't know how far it goes back exactly. So, why do you think there's such? A his, why was Russia so ahead? Do you think it's their tradition, maybe? Yeah, it's like. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a sport that was kind of created there. It's like, have you, uh, you know, all guys know what a pole dancer is, but a pole dancer was actually a male in mm. India. Yeah, okay. And they still have that sport today. And it's, yeah, this huge wooden pole with a, um, like a, a wooden ball on top and they climb up and they wrap themselves around and they smuzzle around it and they do all that. So, 
Yeah, okay. Yeah. Try and point the mic at your face if you... Yeah. I'm not used to this. Yeah, that's all right. Um, I think I saw something in like the old Greek... Wasn't it like a Greek sport or something as well? Mm. Like it was either gymnastics or wrestling. Um, well, I know wrestling was, but um, yeah, as far as the history goes, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. I've never really looked into it as much. I just competed instead. It was one of those famous philosophers were like, "Life is about this, like philosophy, yeah, work and gym or something like that." Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at it. Well, that's the Olympics history, yeah? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, as far as I know, artistic gymnastics, so it's the apparatus. But, I mean, the first the first pieces of gymnastics that were ever competed were the vault. So, it's the running down and jumping onto the table from a springboard and somersaulting off. That was the first piece of competitive gymnast- gymnastics and floor, which is more tumbling and kind of flips on the floor and stuff. Hmm. So when did parkour come about recently? Or um, no, okay. actually parkour has been around for a long time. It's it's it was um, a French guy kind of created as a how do I say this like a movement. So he had this this group and they just wanted to get from point A to point B efficiently. <laughs> yeah, and so they did parkour. But there's free running as well. Mm. Free running similar, but you use tricking and stuff like that. So using somersaults and and all of this. But um, I mean, you've got big brands like Red Bull that have run um, Red Bull Free Run, and they compete in um, in Greece. The Santorini. Okay. Is it where all the white buildings are with the dome rooftops and stuff on the cliffside? Yeah, yeah, on that island. Yeah. Well, they actually have a Red Bull competition that they compete on top of the rooftops. Oh, really? And they're allowed to do it where they somersault from house to house. Yeah. It's pretty sick. A a mountain bike version of that too as well. Yeah, they've done that as well, yeah. Oh, that's so scary. So they have a race. Red Bull have done a few videos where they have a race where they somersault from building to building trying to beat the cyclists down the the steps in the alleyways. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But yeah, Paco is pretty cool. Free running, that's what it is, yeah? Yeah. Hmm. Um, I've also noticed, I don't know, is it like a, the circus side of things as well? That's more of a gypsy? I don't want to say Yeah, no, it was. Of course it was. You know, you um, the biggest movie that's recently been out, um, The Greatest Showman, hmm. based on the life of Barnum and Bailey, and, um, you know, the biggest traveling circus in America. And what they, what they did was that it started off just, you know, getting freaks together <laughs> and then it became more of a daredevil thing and then it became more stunt and then it became you know and then out of nowhere you've got from a simple tour and circus with animals you've got now the trapeze artists and the motorcycle riders and you know the people being blown out the cannons and stuff to now you have Cirque du Soleil one of the richest entertainment mm. Companies in in probably the world now. Yeah, I, su- I suppose though. So, what came first, the, the gypsy lifestyle or the circus? I don't. The circus. He's a rich to, businessman. They seem to go hand in hand, though. Yeah. yeah. So it was it was it was a business, and yeah, the the business kind of fell on in, on this this guy's lap, and 
it started from a museum. He had the rights to a building and he put on an exhibit of freaks. That was it. And that's how it started. And then he took it to the next town and that was it. Like physical freaks or like... Physical freaks. Movement freaks. Like conjoined twins. The bearded lady was actually a bearded lady. You know, um, was it the wolf man? Like full head of hair, face of hair. Yeah, it was It was literally freaks. And then they start with the tattooists. Like, like the guys with tattoos. Oh, 1800s. Oh, but it must have been before that. For sure. Oh, probably. With musicians and stuff. And- yeah playwrights touring yeah. around but now even Cirque du Soleil um, well not Cirque du Soleil a sister company of Cirque du Soleil have a show called Circus 1903 mm. and it's a, sh- a circus show based on the circus Okay, and it's touring the world right now yeah. that's interesting though you mentioned India before because I know the Roma gypsy people I think they originated in India yeah actually so yeah. I don't know, maybe well apparently a- I'm from a Roma gypsy family yeah, you look like a gypsy actually. yeah the roma gypsies ended up in county sligo in ireland and that's how i'm yeah apparently oh really roma gypsy yeah yeah i've been surfing in sligo yeah yeah oh, i haven't been no it's, it's quite remote it's just like there's some fields and some sheep and some waves yeah yeah i'd like to go one day uh, there's not much there <laughs> it's nothing it's just no not my ancestors were there i mean I haven't even been to Ireland. I literally, for in the UK, it's a two-hour drive across country and then a ferry over, and I still haven't been. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so I think the Jeff- gypsies span the whole of freaking Central Asia to yeah. Europe like that. Like, I remember my friend telling me this story about he saw a gypsy riot in Germany. They had, like, the head of the Roma gypsies marry the... Like not the head, but the son of yeah. the head of the Roma gypsy from Romania, I think, marry the Irish gypsy. It was like some mm. inter-gypsy but the Roma traditional gypsies, marriage. Yeah, so even throughout the UK now, you've got a, a big gypsy or traveller community, but the Roma gypsies still have their traditional dress. They still live that kind of lifestyle. It's quite funny. So when they have, you know, family gatherings or parties or whatever, they're actually in the 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 traditional dress of a Roma gypsy. Yeah. I've got one tattooed on my neck. Oh, do you? What yeah. show me? Gypsy Rose. Oh, wow. Who's Gypsy Rose? She's, um, so in traditional tattoo, the Gypsy Rose always looks up and she brings you good fortune from the stars. Oh, nice. Yeah. As a gypsy, like a fortune teller. Yeah, I've had a few encounters with gypsies, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I, I only have in, uh, in the Midlands in England, but they were travellers... I've worked mm-hmm. with one in England actually. He um he lived outside of London in his trailer with his fifteen yeah. year old wife and he was about seventeen or something like this and Yeah. Her job was to clean the trailer all day. Well he went into the city and work and he couldn't actually read. So he would have to we'd have to take him to jobs in advance and he'd remember the way. And he wow. couldn't read a street sign. But he was a really hard worker and a nice yeah. guy. And he's just very traditional, you know. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you know, in the Midlands, it's a huge gypsy and travelling community. So you're talking Nottingham or Nottinghamshire. And, yeah, I mean, you're out and about and, you know, you make you make friends when you live there and, you know, half of them end up being travellers, the gypsies. They live in caravans. Yeah, I, I was going to tell the gypsy riot story, but I might save that for Johan. It's a pretty <laughs> funny story. I'm going to see him in a week or so. 
I saw it. I was in Serbia last year and there was like a young gypsy boy and he was smoking a cigarette. He must have been about five or six. And then he's this little toddler comes up next to him and she tugs on his arm and he leans down and hands this tiny girl a cigarette no. and she takes a drag. And I'm just like, oh my God. That's Boy. not good. Wild, wild kids. And then they ask me for money. Did you give them money? Because yeah. you only know, you know they're going to buy cigarettes with it. How else are they going to buy cigarettes? <laughs> they're going to buy some beer. Oh, that's fair enough. Anyway, um, <laughs> so. <laughs> Anyway, oh, we're it's just good. getting lost and talking it's, about kids smoking here. It's it's, it's don't good. smoke kids. It's good. You can do what you love, Carl. Um, yeah. So how did you get into <laughs> gymnastics from the very beginning? You decided at a young age you wanted to do it? Or? Um, no, I was in um, secondary school. I was in my last year of secondary school. My My neighbor, my best friend, was in high school. And he was in his first year and he kept telling me about this after school trampoline class that he was going to. You know, I was getting getting to play on trampolines in high school. I'm like, oh, sounds cool. And he's like, yeah, come along, it's after school. And I went along and anyway, the teacher, the PE teacher of the high school told me I shouldn't be there because I'm not even in the school yet. Mm. But would I like to go to his club? So the PE teacher at the time had had his own club at the school. That's how they had they had all all of the equipment, and I was like, "Yeah, okay." And I went along, and at the club, when I'm bouncing around on a trampoline, just messing around as a kid, and see these people doing these crazy tricks, acrobatics, I'm like, "Oh, that's quite cool. I want a, I want a piece of that." And then, yeah, within a year and a half, I competed nationally and won the, my first British Championships. Really? Yeah, within a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. How old were you then? Um, I was 12. Mm, wow. Yeah, I just started high school. So it's about a year, yeah, a year and a half after secondary. So yeah, I started high school at 11. So yeah. And at what point did you get shipped off to Russia? Then why? <laughs> Actually, that was before the British Championships. That was... Oh, really? Um, no, sorry. It was after my first British Championships. It was before my first international. Um, yeah, so, um, well, going back to the PE teacher, um, after being in the club for a, a few weeks, I found out that he was actually one of the national coaches for Great Britain. Yeah, okay. So he was, in a way, like a scout as well. And um, so he was quite well in with all of the other... Um, delegations in the gymnastics federation internationally and he got us a training camp just go to russia for three weeks to train okay in 43 degree heat back in communist soviet russia uh yeah so this was yeah uh, south russia black sea uh, a place called krasnodar that's a hard place to get to or it was for us. Yeah, whatever. Very much so. Yeah, we got to... Um, so I, I'm just a kid, you know, and this was actually my first time abroad, so never been on an aeroplane. Um, I get to Russia with... Well, Moscow with the team. So it was uh, a team of 12 from my club and the head coach, my coach, and we get stopped by the Russian security 
all with the you know the AKs and stuff going on. And this was a while ago. It was just down and gritty. You know, it was nothing was modern about Moscow Airport. Mm. And yeah, these the security or what to me looked like military came over and demanded that I pay them. Me, not no, not my coach, not everyone else. They demanded that boy. a twelve-year-old boy pay them one hundred and fifty US dollars okay. to be able to get through. Why? Because they wanted some money. Oh, okay, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, it's literally that was that was it, <laughs> and because I obviously didn't speak the language, they kind of went on to the next person. Yeah, well, it was a bunch of kids. The eldest there was eighteen, so in the end, yeah, my coach had a front. 12 kids times 150 US dollars each Jesus to get through because we had a connecting flight from Moscow to Krasnodar Krasnodar yeah okay and the flight from Moscow to Krasnodar after getting through all of that turmoil I, had, I hadn't a clue what was going on I was tired in a well I considered it very smelly airport mm. um, I was just shattered and I just wanted to get on the plane didn't know what was going on anyway I get on the plane from Moscow to Krasnodar, and yeah, still all my friends to this day tell me the story of how I fell asleep cuddling into a man next to me that was holding a chicken. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, I mean, it was just normal. He had a chicken in his arms on a plane, smoking a dart. And, nice. And I kind of, yeah, cuddled into him. Back back before they would have charged him for extra hand luggage. Yeah, and he, it's a yeah, it was, it was weird. Like there was that much random things, like dogs in the footwells, and like yeah. But this guy had a chicken in his hands. What year was this? Um, this would have been ninety five, ninety six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's, when did the, will the wall come down? So ninety ninety six. Yeah, it'll have been ninety six because that was my first international. That was yeah. And that was after the Berlin Wall came down. When was that? Oh, I I don't know. Yeah. I'm not great with history. Early 90s, I think. I'm not even good with dates. Mm. I know I was born during the the Falklands. Yeah? Oh, yeah. okay. That was it. Yeah. Mm. So, you went back to Russia a few times? Um, yeah. N- not not just Russia, though. A lot of the, the old Soviet states. So, I spent a lot of time in um, Bulgaria, Poland, uh, Belarus, uh, Ukraine. Yeah, I did all of those because obviously it was a, you know, huge for gymnastics, those kind of countries. So they tend to hold a lot of the European championships and one or two of them, the world championships as well. So, yeah, always spent a lot of time there. I remember one year we got, I think we got Belarus in the winter for our world championships and the junior team got Hawaii. (laughs) We were like, what kind of straw have we pulled out here? That's funny because I always say I want to go to Russia and the Soviet countries. And, and I just want to like, go to Hawaii. You're just like, no way. No. I, I, You've done them. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I really enjoyed Poland. Um, Ukraine was cool. I was in Kiev in Ukraine. Um, Poland, I've been a fair few times. Uh, Zelona Gora, a real old country, Poland. Um, Gdansk, Vraslav. But Belarus was just too cold. I I, I kind of didn't enjoy any of it. Didn't enjoy the competition. People were a little bit sketchy. Show so, us that Gypsy Rose. 
She looks like she's got a hairy face now, though. She looks like one of uh, Barnum and Bailey's circus freaks. Yeah, she does, the bearded lady. <laughs> Literally. Next, a little hairy. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that was growing up through your teens? or till So, yeah, that was through my teens. Till um, your 20s? Or? Um, <clears throat> no, that was, that was mainly my teens. Um, and I did that through, obviously, high school, college, and then university. Um, then I ended up all over the world, though all over Europe and then Japan 2001 I did my first stint in Japan yeah so we'd, we'd, I traveled a, a lot through through my teens yeah mm, and how do you support yourself while doing this sort of thing like do you win prize money is there sponsors um, no so at the time um, when I was competing I was one of the lucky ones um, nowadays it's quite hard so it's a lot of you know they try and get external sponsors or, or whatever but when I was competing the National Lottery had a sports fund so they funded us I was paid by the National Lottery oh great yeah from the age of 15 yeah I was I was funded and I had an agent that used to pick me up from college and take me to training oh great yeah but I still worked. I mean, yeah. Um, throughout training twice a day, then studying during the day. So I'd train in the morning, then go study to at college or uni. Then I go straight back to training. But I also worked four days a week in a hotel. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you're pretty busy. Yeah. So I kept myself busy. I tried to work, and I, you know, I worked for my uncle who was a landscape gardener. Kind of always had the don't want to work in me anyway. So I didn't want to just live off handouts. I think you told me some story or a rigger for a while. Um, yeah, so in between my time in... So I moved to Spain. I, I was only meant to go for nine months and I ended up being there for nearly 14 years. Um, but in my time being in Spain and performing with a show, I uh, took a little like a break. And yeah, so for two years, I ended up back, back in the UK and I was a steel erector, a steel fabricator. Yeah. And I loved it. Loved every bit of it. I think you told me once you accidentally hooked yourself up to the crane. Oh, yeah. That was in London. That was right next to the Gherkin in London. Um, so, yeah, we're on a on the top of this open concrete shell of a building. Um, we're still fitting steel um, up in top so they can keep building up. And yeah, I'm about... I'd say about 15 to 20 stories high, mm. somewhere around that. And I'm on radio, so I'm acting as what you call a dogman. Yeah. We call them banksmen. So I was banking in the crane over radio, but I'm inside the concrete shell of a building and I'm higher than the cab of the crane. So we could only communicate via radio. No hand signals, nothing could be seen, so... Yeah, um, so I'm, I'm banking in the steel for him. I get it dropped down. And next thing I know, I'm rigged up to a piece of steel that is taken away and my harness is still clipped onto him. So he takes me up <laughs> out of the building into the sky and I'm just dangling in the air on my harness. Oh, my God. Shit in my pants. Too Too scared to even grab the radio to tell him to stop and... It wasn't until I always start shouting that he's actually realised he'd, he'd not even kind of looked. 
He's seen you hanging out there. Yeah, I've just given the all clear so to what, go straight up. A, you have a harness on, right? So you I've have, had a harness on, and I've, 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 because I'm freestanding on steel. Um, we normally have rollers, so there's a roller that you're clipped on behind. Mm. But I've had to take the roller off to be able to get the next piece of steel. So what I've done is I've clipped my second carabiner onto his chain. What about the other one? And I've undone the other one, so oh. then I can move forward. Lucky you weren't attached still, though. Well. Yeah, one of them would have snapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, not both. No. Please. So, yeah, I've had some close scares. Cherry picker, um, the hydraulics under the basket snapped. And, uh, yeah, I've just been hanging there by a bolt. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was only two stories high, though. That wasn't too bad. It doesn't matter. No. Hey, so, I don't know, Did the what did all the Russian girls think of the uh, English expat? Give you a hard time or what? Yeah, they were pretty bland with it. Yeah, they weren't friendly. Yet. They didn't want to know. Really? Not a bar, no. Oh, okay, yeah, totally. Well, it depends on what part of Russia you're at, I guess. But Moscow, I find... I don't know, hope you don't get many Russian people listening to this. But I find Moscow, people themselves are quite... quite to themselves. Like They don't want to know. Okay. Very, you know, close and not open to talking too much you've got to really get in with people to break them out of their shell to hold a proper conversation Mm, they're more reserved whereas i find you know ukraine um poland those kind of ex-soviet states are a lot more forgiving they're a lot more welcoming yeah mainland russia i just i don't know something about it where it's, it's very standoffish for me maybe it's the whole paranoia from back in the but day listen the- i was i was there a long time ago hey so it's you know a lot i know a lot has changed since i was there you know financially and economically you know moscow now st st petersburg you know two of the richest places you know their economy is booming you can't afford a place to live in moscow anymore oh, the hostels there are quite expensive yeah i was looking at them <clears throat> yeah like some of the most expensive in Europe. Yeah. A friend of mine, their parents gave um, him and his sister a tiny, tiny apartment. And they had it from when, you know, it was way back in the day. And um, it was next to nothing when they got given it. Now it's worth an absolute fortune. And they're just sitting on it, waiting and waiting. Yeah. And then just going to sell it and just get a bomb for it, you know. Retire. Yeah. Yeah. I like Eastern Europe, though. Eastern Europe, cool. So you ended up running some circuses or shows or... Yeah, so... Oh, it's competing. Um, yeah, so when I retired from competition, I went into a show in Spain, Europe's biggest uh, dinner show. And yeah, I was in that show on and off for, I think, 12 years. And my last, my last year, I, I was... Um, artistic director of the show as well okay so i'd be hiring in acts and putting the show together um as well as helping out with the the training side of everything obviously i had the knowledge of the show after being in it for so long so yeah kind of ended up being in in the office side of everything as well which was good but it was hard at the same time because i was still on stage performing 
Yeah, okay. And it all just got too much, and I was like, nah, I'm done with this. Mm. Well, then where did you go after? I went I went into, I went back to being a tradie yeah, for okay. nearly a year and a half. Um, I was um, a scaffolder. Yeah. But not a normal scaffolder. I was a scaffolder on um, super yachts. Yeah. So we were scaffolding while boats were in the water. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty sick job. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, multi-million euro super yachts and we're just climbing about them yeah trying yeah. not to scratch them oh it's happened yeah yeah so yeah i was i did that for a while um but in off season because it was in mallorca so obviously the the season is only nine months so what i used to do was well when i first finished pirates i was um working for a like an exclusive beach club so it's like a day club mm. on the beach um and i was their marketing director yeah yes yeah, so i did that for a, a summer season oh, and wow. after that is when i went into um the scaffolding but my degree was advertising that's how i kind of got the job so yeah yeah it was a breeze i just employed djs and ran their social media pushed out everything um you know got radio got press oh wow so you got to be quite flexible physically yeah. and mentally huh? yeah but no that was a cool gig like i said it was only only a summer season it was quite fun you remember mm. me sorry to go back but you were telling me something about <clears throat> one of the trainers like forced you to do the splits or something like on the first day oh this was so i'd just done um let let me get this time scale right so during during my competitive career i had two coaches one well three coaches in total my my english coach and then i had my first russian coach well ukrainian coach um yeah vladimir matazenko was my first eastern european coach and he was cool. He was like super chill. He was an old guy, very, very welcoming. Didn't speak a word of English. Mm. But my second coach, so this would have been uh, nineteen ninety eight. It was the World Championships in Manchester, of all places, Manchester, England. They had the World Championships at home, so again, didn't get to go very far for that one. Juniors got, I think, Belgium. We got home. Okay. <laughs> um, my second coach after that competition was Vladimir Poznikov. He was a, a Russian coach and he sadly passed away a few years ago, but he was known for as one of the best coaches ever in the world. You know, every country wanted him to be part of their gym. And uh, yeah, he's like, okay. So we'll start training so every morning we do two hours of strength then one hour of technical in the evening was two hours technical one hour of strength but in the evening he used to bring his wife and his wife was a ballet teacher mm. so she took his training techniques with her knowledge and yeah i was sat against a wall like in a straddle sit legs out and she'd just sit behind me and push me into the wall yeah 
like squash squash me into the wall. So forced the splits. For yeah, over splits as well. So that was like side splits where your legs are out to the side. But if, so if you think normal splits where your legs are going forward, mm. I was on like um, Jesus twenty thirty centimeter crash mats. My front foot. So I was over splits. I was overstretched. Oh my god! Yeah, that hurt. Yeah, I mean, th- listen, I was 15, 16, still in tears getting stretched. Young man, and yeah, there's... What, isn't that something you should ease into, though, not be suddenly shocked? No, into? I mean, my basics were mm. near, but not near enough. You tear anything? Yeah, that? a lot of times, yeah. Yeah, do you have any permanent problems? No, no, I'm, I don't have to stretch to be able to do it. <laughs> She just altered your yeah. Physical. She literally just oh. overstretched me and overstretched all my muscles. That even <clears throat> sorry, even now I I kind of don't stretch and yeah. It's like yeah. your sister's a dancer and I'm still more flexible than her. Yeah, wow. And I'm retired. Okay, it's one for the and even the kids like the kids I teach are like, it's how like can a, you still do it? And like I'm like I, I stretched. Body modification. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Wow. Okay. Hmm. Um, yeah, it was tough. Well, you met my sister in Singapore. Singapore, You're doing yeah. a show there. Yeah? yeah. So the company I worked for for a few times. Um, so when I finished in Spain and I did the stint as the scaffolder, I got put on contracts with a company I performed with before in the winters when I was in Spain. So I did um, Sydney Opera House a couple of times and they wanted to put me on a, an Australian tour. So we did Perth and Melbourne. And then I went to Beijing. Um, and from Beijing kind of made the decision that I didn't want anything to do with what I was doing before and decided to move back home. Um, after being in Abu Dhabi as well, with the same company so I was back home and I get a call like hadn't trained in a while like six seven months and like do you want to do the next show we're going to do in Singapore I'm like yeah okay best get training so got back to training got to Singapore and yeah your sister was employed there as a dancer as a local though because she had friends there she'd been there a few times and yeah she actually got the gig as a local okay although she was Australian yeah, and that was the only way she'd actually got would have got given the job because mm. they didn't want to employ any Australians. That's pretty funny. Yeah, my sister brings home this bloody English gypsy man covered in tattoos. <laughs> yeah, lucky he's nice. <laughs> I was the one that was scared when she told me she had three brothers. Yeah. Like, oh my goodness. I hate the English. Yeah. <laughs> no one can deal with too many pommies. So, okay, back to, like, injuries and accidents and that sort of thing. Sorry to focus on the gore. You've seen people die? Um, No, I've not seen them die. Um, I've had best friends die um, in in shows. Um, One of them, a very good friend of ours, a Bulgarian guy, um, I actually competed against in world and European championships, and then I actually got to work with him in Spain in in the show. I ended up directing... Um, yeah, we became real good friends and we did a tour of Miami for like, well, not a tour, but we were based in Miami with the show for three months in the winter and he kind of 
quit the show after Miami, didn't go back to Spain, and went to be with his brother, who was a stuntman in Indiana Jones at Universal, uh, yeah, Universal Studios or something like that. Anyway, Anislav gets a job in the show alongside his brother, and you know, Anislav was like the biggest, most muscle-bound guy, but like so good at what he did like he could somersault he could do everything that you'd think a guy his size couldn't do anyway he get got the job in indiana jones and he did a simple like a three-quarter dive like a stunt crash dive from not even a two-story i'd say and he just landed just wrong and yeah severed his spinal cord and died jesus and you know we have i've seen people do a lot worse than that and come out with a scratch Hmm. Yeah. And so the problem, I guess, this injury, this industry is, if you got a career-ending accident, it's not like there's compensation or anything like that, is there? No, no. So you get, especially when you're contracted internationally. Obviously, the the, the people employing you, they have to take out insurance for you. Yeah. Okay. Because of what we do is 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 super dangerous and, um, like in Beijing, one of my, one of my old friends, um. He was on a, a trampoline, so he had this stupid, huge trampoline number. It's like 11 guys around this trampoline doing the most crazy stuff. And this guy does this thing from the top of this, like, two-and-a-half-story wall onto the trampoline, does these, like, three somersaults, lands on his feet, and the bounce after he lands, his knee just exploded. Oh. And I'm stood in front of him, and it looked like... um like a shockwave went from his hip down to his ankle. Like his leg just went like a wave. And I'm like, that Whoa. doesn't look good. And then in the middle of the show, he's just stopped, dropped, and he's lying in the middle of the trampoline, like squealing. And he, this is a grown man, a couple of years older than me, and he's squealing. Yeah, he ended up being in um, Beijing for two months. He had to get con uh, reconstruction on his knee and his femur. Broke his femur. Yeah, femur, everything. Everything just, just blew out. And it was after the hardest thing he'd done. Mm. But then I've seen people on, you know, Russian swings go over the top. I've pretty much ruptured my coccyx. Uh, I've had um, ruptured three vertebrae. Got kicked in the back of my neck. Keel surgery on my knee. Um, you name it, I think I've done it. Apart from major breaks, mm. not any major breaks. That's lucky. Yeah. No unconscious. No, haven't been knocked out. Hmm. So in these shows, like uh, international sort of colleagues. Yeah. So uh, the show I worked in, and the shows I previously worked in after. I keep saying shows. My first job in Spain was just one one show. It was the same show throughout. But then the company I worked with, that I met your sister, um, that was three kind of different shows, but for the same company. They were all international gymnasts, so they've you know had experience in representing their country and what they did. Um, yeah, I mean... Um, the guy that I used to work with mainly, he was um, 
three times world champion, junior and senior, uh, four or five times European gold and silver medalist. Yeah, so, mm. yeah, we all had some international experience. So it's, you know, the same guys we all got approached, you know, we've all had some interaction with Cirque du Soleil and stuff yeah. like that. A lot yeah. of the guys had taken it. I didn't. Yeah. Nothing to do with it. Yeah, you didn't want to go. You got sick of it. Yeah. So what, mm. you just got tired of performing? Or? Yeah, and then, you know, me and me and your sister were doing, trying to do long distance, and I moved to Hong Kong to be closer to her, and I was doing some side performing in Hong Kong, a little bit of TV commercials and Hong stuff Kong. like that, and actually, I don't know what happened. I still think I did my meniscus. Mm. But Ugh. I kind of had to self-heal because I had no insurance. <laughs> yeah, jeez. So, yeah, I I kind of blew my knee out going up a stairwell. And, yeah, I, it kind of knocked me in a bad space anyway, being in Hong Kong. But I had to get it's, out of there and gross. sort my knee out. Hong Kong's gross. Hong Kong. I'm not even going to say what I think of Hong Kong. Oh, I've seen some horrendous things there. Yeah. Especially if you stay in like cheap hostels, dude. Oh, I've really? never. I swear, I swear to God, and this is on 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 my family's life. I I was living in Wan Chai, which is the CBD of Hong Kong. Ugh, yeah, I crossed the road at twelve o'clock exactly midday, and this you know what the the zebra crossings are like in in CBD. There's just hundreds of people. It was like Moses parting water. Everyone moved aside for what? A rat. A rat used a zebra crossing and everyone was at the <laughs> other side of it. And oh I swear God. to God, to this day, I will never, ever forget it. Never forget it. A rat had right of way across a zebra crossing. A big rat. This was like a cat. Oh yeah, it was huge. God. Yeah. Oh, the amount of times I've seen them face to face in the stairwell on the stairs next to me and... Oh man, no, didn't like it. I don't even know if I should mention what I saw. Jesus, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Oh no, I won't mention it. No, oh, don't. Should I? I've got to mention it at some point. Mention on your next one with Felipe. I, I can't stomach some of the stuff I've seen there. So God knows what you've seen. Mm, well, yeah, I've seen. I thought India was bad. Well, chicken heads in a bowl on the street were bad enough for me. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, I can't. Oh, I couldn't look. At I got. That stuff. I got left on that island of Hong Kong. Lantau? I think so, yeah. The, we were, I was there drinking with these people and for friends from the hostel or something. And That would be Lantau. Yeah, I got a bit tired. And it was like 2 a.m. And I'm like, hey. You told me about this because the only way you can get back is either by a boat, the long ferry. Yeah. Or you've got to go right around the side of the island to get to the highway. Yep. The big bridge highway. Yep. So, yeah, I was sitting at the bar. I said to my friends, hey, guys, let's go. I'm pretty tired. And they're like, no, they're chatting up some girls or something. And they're like, oh, we'll just, you know, just give us a few minutes. And then next thing you know, the waiter's tapping me on the shoulder. And he's like, hey, your friends have gone. Get out of here. We're closing. I'm like, what? I must. I literally passed out sitting up at the bar somehow. And As you do. And I've run outside to see my friends and it's just a ghost town. There's, there's no one there. And I was just in such a bad way, man. Yeah. Like cold morning. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going and I'm wandering the streets and there's a few shady characters around and I just kept walking and walking until I found that bridge and then... Yeah, Lantau is shady. 
Lantau's very shady. Oh. I used to teach in the, the, there was a little, like a kindy school there. And they used to have this kind of illegal gymnastics club. Yeah, okay. And so they used to pay me cash to go and teach at this club. And uh, I remember coming out sometimes and going towards the ferry terminal. And, dude, I'd just get followed for the sake of mm. 50 meters. I'd end up with three people following me just to the ferry terminal. Why? Islands like that, what, what are you going to do? Maybe You're literally stuck on an you. island. Mm. They just rub me blind and put me on a ferry. What can I do? Yeah, I no like police, a, nothing. I seem like a... Yeah, anyway. No, I can't say it. It's too... <laughs> I saw three dogs get knotted. Get what? Knotted. On the street? Yeah. Oh, my God. Like a dog train. They all got knotted and stuck to each other. Yeah, I think... Oh, no, I'm not going there. It's too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll keep this one G-rated for anybody that wants to... Yeah. Any young aspiring gymnasts out there, so... Just don't go to Hong Kong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Moral of the story. So, how do you recommend if someone wanted to get into the performing art, what what they should do? As in performing or, or what I've done, gymnastics? Yeah, gymnastics. Like, if or they gymnastics. want to go for the Olympics, maybe even, or some other form of... For me, it's... Shows, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's always a career in... In, in in performing when it comes to gymnastics but now I mean the the level's been raised so high that you ha- you literally have to be the best mm. like I couldn't go for some of the jobs now like the people that are doing it are just way too talented for me to even consider thinking oh I could do that mm. I wouldn't even con- contemplate it but um, yeah you have to be at the top of the game so like for for any kid that will want to do gymnastics, it's like you have to find the right club with the right coach, and they have to have the right program. Yeah. Okay. If they've not got the program, doesn't matter how good you're going to be, you're not going to get pushed through the ranks to be able to compete to then get recognised. So, yeah. So not only do you have to start at the age of two, but you have to have all of those other things line up as well. Yeah, I was eleven. I I was apparently late mm. to start, but I retired as very old yeah so gymnast normal expectancy is 21 years old retirement yeah wow okay yeah i literally come out of competing and within a year i was performing and i i went beyond that another well nearly 12 years yeah yeah Hmm. and why do they retire so young um i think it's you know it's a big it's a big dedication like, yeah. it's all you do. So, imagine being in the same job for, you know, say you start at five years old. Mm. Retire when you're 20. Could you do 15 years of the same job? You'd, you'd get bored. Physically and mentally bored. Mm. Like, you know, you don't always have that that kind of drive. Like, I, I kind of gave in physically and mentally with it. And it wasn't until I come here and, you know, got work teaching that I kind of, fell back in love with what I what I do and what I know. Mm. Actually, you would play but if not, I, I would have been scaffolding, eh? I would have been happy with that. Yeah. Saying, what do you do now? Like, sometimes play Spider-Man at kids' birthday parties? Or? Yeah, Spider-Man now and again for a friend, yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, just go chuck a flip in front of some kid's face dressed as Spider-Man. 
Some yeah. like it, some don't. <laughs> <laughs> Still got paid. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I did that in Hong Kong as well. Um, so yeah, events, companies and whatever. Um, I did the red carpet opening of um, The Greatest Showman in Brisbane. And I just end up walking around. They've got all these like big hitters at this theater in Brisbane. And it's literally the red carpet preview of The Greatest Showman, the movie. And I'm walking around the place with a glass of champagne in one hand and a girl balancing on my shoulders. Yeah, just yeah. walking around. Oh, yeah. Just, and I got paid a fortune. Oh, yeah. So my sister does these weird gigs. Like, yeah. Just to be and, you know, the money's good. The money yeah, is such good money, but Showpiece. very few and far between. You're just an employed freak. Yeah. Just, yeah. Prefer the ones where you can't see my face, though. Yeah. <laughs> Spider-Man's always a good gig. Hmm. What you're doing some program for the elderly or something as well? Um, yeah, so I'm known as a fit for life coach. Um, so fit for life is um, it's based on gym. It's kind of gymnastics for the elderly, but it's more uh, reintroducing orientation, awareness, and balance, as well as developing muscles that they wouldn't normally use or haven't used for a long time so their motto is use it don't lose it Mm. so it's reintroducing simple but effective exercises through fun so you know having you know um, a 75 year old man that hasn't been able to put his trousers on himself for the past 16 17 years can now put his trousers on himself yeah wow that's pretty inspiring and it caters for everyone you know from from the physically unable the class is actually seated to the able where they're up on their feet. So you're seeing improvements with these people as well? Yeah. Oh, tenfold. Hmm. Yeah. Their blood pressure drops. They, they, they take it on themselves because it's fun. They take it on themselves um, to, you know, eat just in general, eat yeah. uh, or, or be a lot healthier as well as that, you know, they're, they're getting out of their normal, getting out of their norm where they're literally just sat at home on their own doing nothing. Yeah. They, it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a little community meeting for them as well. So their happiness goes up tenfold. Hmm. Sounds like a good community initiative. Yeah. I mean, there's not many classes going on around here at the minute, but, um, cause it only got introduced last year. Um, but yeah, Brisbane, Brisbane's pumping with it. So hopefully we'll get a lot more classes coming up through the Gold Coast because there's only myself and I think another two girls that actually qualified to be able to take the take the whole thing. So that that'll be good if we get that up here. It'd be good if you could get some like government assistance or something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always that you can you know apply to your local councils for that kind of support um, because you still have to go through the 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 person's GP you've got to get all the doctor's notes you've, it's, there's a bit of a kerfuffle to get it all done but yeah right. it's worth it in the long run I think Australian red tape red tape mate mm. that's it alright um, is there anything else you can think of that you would like to mention not really okay well we'll wrap it up eh I feel like I've never talked about myself so much in my entire life it's funny it's interesting eh it is, you know, there's probably 101 stories that I can't even think of right now, but 
I'll have to write them down, come back next time and do it again. I'm sure you've got a lot more. Oh, I think you're like holding back 90% of them for a fear of retribution. I think I am as well, yeah. Mm. Anyway, thanks very much, Carl. Good fun. Thanks, man. See you next time. Laters.